Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. On the tablet case in front of me, as well as on my old worship leader's podium, There is a little brass plaque. Both of them are inscribed with these words. Sir, I would see Jesus. That, I think, is the basic summary of any minister. That's the basic summary of any ministry. Is that no matter what we've been called to, no matter what it is our duty to perform. We're supposed to be a living example, a living reflection of the same love that he offered, of the same commitment he demonstrated, the same self-sacrificing love that it should mean when you hear the word Christian, Christ-like. When that word first came into practice, it was not a compliment. When they were first called Christians at Antioch, that was an insult. The Jews in that city referred to those that were following the way as Christian, meaning little Christ. You're trying to be like this guy. You're trying to uh, be an anointed one of God yourselves. You're trying to... Pass yourself off as something that you're not. That's what it originally meant. But over time, such was, the dedicated, such was the dedication of love of those early Christians that it started to mean something else. It started to truly mean Christ-like. So strong was their love that even in times of persecution, the persecutors that knew them, the Roman centurions, the Roman guards, even one emperor who saw their love put on display became reviled by the fact that they had to be persecuted. Diocletian actually once wrote, this was the, the, the grandson of Constantine that turned around and decided that Christianity was bad. And he admitted into his own persecution before Rome turned, changed his mind yet again that these Christians, through their agape love, is real. Their love means something. Through their love, they are feeding the hungry. Through their love, they are clothing the naked. Through their love, they're supplying for the needs of all those that we as the empires, the strongest government on earth, cannot I cannot kill them. They do too much. When we come to this evening, once a year, we come with the question of how are we doing in being Christ-like? How well are we following the example of those that came before? Are we as willing to stick with He who loves us that we would lay down our lives as they did. 
that we would value eternity more than the trials of the here and now. What is our level of dedication? What is our level of growth? What is our level of spiritual maturity? How are we doing? So once a year, 40 days before Easter Sunday, we come together to observe that question. How are we doing? This is a service of dedication and renewal. In the Baptist faith, we understand that a symbol is a symbol. That we cannot earn grace through action. That we cannot earn love through action. That God already loves us. That grace is unearnable, yet He has it for us. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. This was the depth of the love of God. There's nothing that you can do to earn that love. But there are many things that we can do to grow in that love and to shine that love on others, to lead them to that love. As we begin the scripture that leads into this day. We talked about this a great deal this past Sunday. So if you take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 3 one more time with me. This is where Ash Wednesday comes from. This is where the Lenten season comes from. Just as we are called to live in the image of Christ, Lent is a reflection of a period in Christ's life, in a period of His ministry, His 40-day fast in the desert. Starting with Matthew 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, he was starving, his fasting cycle had completed. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up on their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Or as we probably memorized it from Sunday school days gone by, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In verse 8 again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, the angels came and attended him. 
May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this evening. And thanks be to God. The season of Lent is peculiar to us that don't regularly practice in liturgical fashion because on the outset it seems like works righteousness. It seems like we're trying to do something to curry favor with God. But that's not what this season represents. Just as we come during Advent to prepare ourselves for the first coming of Christ, to receive the child of Bethlehem, to receive the lesson of the men with, of, of the wise men, to receive the lesson of the gifts, to receive the lessons of the virtues. We come now during the season of Lent as a time of preparation to receive the living, resurrected, risen Christ. To understand not only what He expects of us, but the depths of His love for us that He showed us by being the sacrifice for all mankind. Lent is the season of preparation. And its emphasis is not just self-denial, but it's spiritual focus. It's church-wide in that it involves all of us. Now, you are, up, you are individually to decide whatever it is that you want to do during this season, but you are encouraged as a community of believers to come together and to offer something to Him, not so that you can, not, not just for the sake of giving up something that you shouldn't be doing anyway, but to make time, to make room, to make energy for something that you need to devote yourselves to. Be ye doers of the word and not what? Here is only. So we examine who we are. We examine our hearts under the lens of the Holy Spirit of God. We reflect on the person that we are and how good that we've been at being obedient to Him, reflecting His love, doing the work of missions, doing the work of worship doing the work of teaching through discipleship, doing the work of being an evangelist as we are all called to do. And this is also, again, reflecting through worship, echoing what Jesus himself did in 40 days of denial, which Moses also did, which Joshua also did, which Elijah also did, which most of the ministers, in fact, in Holy Scripture did. In fact, it was customary for any able-bodied Jew to go through not one but two fasts every calendar year as a way of denying the self to have the, the time and the commitment to reach out and energize the soul, to nourish the soul. So as we reflect during the next 40 days, where have we grown spiritually? Where have we backslidden? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. What habits are we engaged in right now that lead to temptation? Not what are we already doing now that's a sin. That's another topic. But what do we do right now as part of our routine, as part of who we are, that can easily be steered away from being Christ-like to being not Christ-like? What do I need to lay down to be more like Him? So let's first talk about habits that lead to temptation. The Apostle Paul writes to us this uh, word of advice from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? What does someone in possession of the Holy Spirit of God 
have in common with somebody that is still under the old sin nature. So he's advising us, be not in common. Don't have that link in your lives with something that's going to be an ever-present temptation to not be like Christ. Verse 16, what agreement is there with, between the temple of God and idols? For, there, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my what? They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and separate, separate says the Lord. And there's a reason why that's important to us as a church. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia, excuse me, which literally means those who have been called out. You are no longer part of the world. Be careful not to be tempted to going back to it. Continuing on. Touch no unclean, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these precious promises, dear friends, in other words, if you, if, if you feel the spiritual need to, for fasting, don't worry about it. If you feel the spiritual need to avoid certain aspects of your routine, don't worry about it. If the place that you work causes you to sin, don't worry about removing yourself from any obstacle that is going to cause you to not be the person that God has created you to be. Because God's promises hold true. Don't be afraid to be generous. Don't be afraid to pray. Don't be afraid to study and get into the Word of God. Don't be afraid to sing to the glory of God. Don't be afraid to play with everything that is within you. To show Him the, the passion, the commitment, the dedication, the love that He so freely gives to each and every one of us. Since we have those promises to strengthen us, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Over the next 40 days, beginning with tonight, as we come to dedicate ourselves, our time in this place that we call our spiritual home, let us be cognizant of what is within our path on a daily basis that can tempt us from being the person that we've been called to be. That could be a place, that could be a form of entertainment, that could be a routine. What is within our pathway that's a shadow of the old life, threatening to rip us from the person that we've been redeemed to be and dragging us back into the person that we were saved out of? And again, we have those precious promises. We did a whole series on the promises of God. Those same promises that provide us strength as we strive to separate ourselves from that which is lesser so that we may become something greater. And again, it's not just withdrawing from something. It's also adding something. Redirecting our energy to the greater. What can draw my focus to God? To hyper-focus on Him. How can I... Practice Christ-likeness. What are the elements of Christ that He's equipped me through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be like? 
What ministry has he called me to be a part of? What has he done in my life to shape me, to mold me, to make me into somebody that can make a difference? And the way that we learn that is by doing. We just said it, that old verse from James, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And how can I assess my growth? Pay attention to these. Over the next coming minutes, we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Christ in this season and how we can grow to be more like Him and closer to Him and closer together as a church. Let's start off by concentrating on the disciplines of being a disciple. Now, when I say discipline, I don't mean the way that we stereotypical think, stereotypically think about it. I don't mean that God is going to chase us around with a, a fly swatter or a switch. Discipline means to be in focus, to discipline your mind, to discipline your lifestyle, to discipline the way that you think about yourself and others. Jesus himself puts it this way, when talking about the things that we practice in our life, the habits that we practice in our life that draw us closer to God. And in this case, we're going to start uh, by talking about the disciplines that Jesus himself is teaching us about, starting with Matthew 6, starting with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when, not if, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. In other words, when you put something in the offering plate, when you uh, contribute to tithely for the good of the church, when you make a donation, say, to the St. Albans Ministry Alliance, to the, the furthering of the building of new churches through the West Virginia Baptist Convention, uh, or if you just help donate something to Christ's Kitchen or the food pantry, whatever you do, if you're giving money to someone, don't do it for the sake of hearing the word thank you from a person. Don't do it for the sake of self-publicity or for reinforcing pride. Jesus calls this out. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. If all that you're looking for is the praise and adulation of fellow people, that's all you will get. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is part of putting your treasures away in heaven. And so common was it in the very history of this own church that there are certain people that we could name that would not want to hear their name cast out loud. That if you whispered that there was a need within the church anywhere within 30 feet of them, that need would be taken care of. People that didn't want praise, people that didn't want adulation, people that, that wanted only to serve God with everything that they were. So almsgiving, giving to the poor, giving to the needy, giving to the ministry, the giving of alms is the practice of sacrificial love. And this is the way that we're supposed to do it. Is there something in our lives over the next 40 days that we can examine that tempts us to be greedy rather than generous? 
something that causes us to want to hoard something for ourselves instead of being able to part with it to the benefit of those that do not have, as Christ did. What are the needs of my neighbors that I can meet? How can I serve in ways other than giving? For many of us, it is all too tempting to give of our money and nothing else. But we are not only called to give of our tithing, uh, we're not only called to tithe our money, we're also called to tithe our resources, to tithe our time, to tithe our talents, to time our strength. How can I serve in ways other than simply putting something into the offering plate? When you pray, proceeding with verse 5, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. This is another case where doing something that we're commanded to do to draw closer to God can result in instead feeding our own egos. Do not pray like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. In other words, prayer is not about performance. Prayer is about talking one-on-one with God. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, not if, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans for they think that they're heard because of their, excuse me, because of their many words. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, the, uh, part of what Jesus is telling us there is that all too common these days is this idea that if you pray this specific prayer, this prayer that someone else has written out, then whatever you want will be given to you by God. So there's two challenges here. The first challenge is that we are supposed to, prayer is our opportunity to go to God in person as the child of our Heavenly Father to speak to him, to cry out, Abba, which means Dad. For now we can go boldly before the throne of grace to make our petitions known that we may receive mercy in our hour of need. You have the right as a Christian to at any time go in secret to your heavenly Father, kneel before him, offer him your embrace, receive his embrace, and talk to him person to person. That's when I jokingly say down here, this is radical, because it is. What other religion do you know of gives the practitioner the right to go before God whenever they want to, to use their own words whenever they want to, to ask for whatever they want to? What other religion do you know of that says that a person, a human being, can encounter God face to face? But that's your right. Anytime you want, you have the opportunity to go. What do I need to learn to be a better reflection of Christ? What do we pray for? What can we ask for that molds us, that shapes us, that turns us into the person we've been redeemed to be? And what can I do to set aside more time to meet personally with God? What can I do to expand my devotional life from five minutes before I go to bed to a time where I can fully feel his embrace, where I can fully tell him with all my words that this is the day I've had 
And I'm grateful that you And I love you. Another challenge that we have is what do our prayers include? Not as a matter of not as a matter of pattern, not as a matter of liturgy, but as a matter of devotion. Do I remember to offer God praise and thanksgiving? As parents, when you have a kid away at college and he calls you and he only asks you to keep feeding his bank account, how does that make you feel? An occasional thank you would be nice. Remember the needs of others when you pray. Remember those that are sick. Remember those that are poor. Remember those that we have in the very shadow of our building who come from broken homes. Remember the ministers that take care of us. Remember the ministries that take care of the city that we're a part of. Remember the people who have the need for God's strength, His guidance, and His wisdom. We also have the ability to confess our sins whenever we want to and repent of them. Those go hand in hand. For we are also told by Paul that He who created Him, who created us, who gave Christ for us, He is faithful and just. If we go to Him and confess... He is faithful and just to not only forgive us our sins, but to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we go with a repentant heart, God will provide a way to banish that sin, banish that temptation from you, strengthen you so that when you see it, when you encounter it the next time, you can walk away. For God will never lead you into a temptation that you are unable to bear, but will always provide you with a means of what? Escape. This is the promise of God. We can confess our sins knowing that He will forgive us. Knowing that He will strengthen us in that process without shame. And again, talk to God as a person, as a being. Not as an ATM machine in the sky, but as someone who desperately loves you just as you desperately love your own children. Knowing that He wants that same kind of relationship with us. Moving on. This one is a little tougher for Baptists. Not if you fast. When you fast. And I don't mean that you necessarily have to starve yourself for 40 days. But I mean that you can take a break from a habit, a ritual, a thing that you have made part of your life that is likely to lead you into sin to lead and become a temptation. I love to cook. The unfortunate part about that is I love to eat. And a little too much of the two in combination means that I am not a healthy person and I need to slack off about that. It might mean that for 40 days I no longer cook for my family so that I can focus more on my diet, that which will draw me more closely into the person that I'm supposed to be, to take care of myself. Each and every one of us has a habit, has a routine, has something in our lives that if we examine it close enough can lead us into a form of downfall. Fasting doesn't necessarily mean that you starve yourself for 40 days, even though that's, that's one version of it, but it means that we withdraw from that which can tempt us into sin. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces and they show, they show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Same thing, pride goeth before destruction. But when you fast, 
Put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, don't show that you're fasting. Don't make a big production of the fact that you're fasting. Put oil on your head. Wash your face so that you will not, it will not be obvious to others when you're fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, not to earn salvation, but to draw into a closer, personal, committed relationship with the God who created us, who saved us, and who to this day continually sustains us. So when considering what the 40-day means, what, for those that, that practice uh, putting off something for 40 days, what in my life is a potential temptation to sin? If you don't go nuts over chocolate to the point that you put yourself in peril, Giving up chocolate is not what is meant when we come to a 40-day fast. But if you are a diabetic, it's a whole other issue. Not wanting to watch television for 40 days, to allow yourself time to devote yourself more to Bible study, to devote yourself more to your family, to devote yourself more to the things that are a godly responsibility, that's a different story because that takes you away from a potentially harmful routine and puts you into something where you can be a blessing to others. What is in my life that is a potential distraction from my relationship with God? And I'll also add from a relationship with the family of God. And lastly, what can I give up to spend more time with God and His people? How can I be more active? How can I be a better disciple? How can I better show God the same love that He showed us? The brother of Christ also tells us to watch out for this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, in the, this passage, the, the brother of Christ is linking uh, certain forms of physical illness with um, not just with sin, but with the needs of the people within the congregation. This is the same passage where he tells us that if any of us are deathly ill, let him call out for the elders of the church that they may come and anoint him and pray over that person because the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. That's both physically and spiritually. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and somebody should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Accountability. We used to practice this thing called accountability groups. And this is ages past in, in the Baptist heritage. I, rem, I, I understand that. Uh, some of us call them connection groups. But these are small groups of three, no less than three, no more than five people. Where one of them is a deacon or someone that is recognized to be a spiritually mature person in the faith that can act as a mentor. And they gather together, and if they're going through problems, or if they're struggling in sin, if they're struggling with temptation, they can confess to each other knowing that the sacredness of that assembly will be respected. What about my life have I been blind to that I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to see? Because in the subjectivity, in the blinders 
of my life. I might not know that there is something that is eating away at myself, my testimony, or my relationship with God. So what about my life have I been blinded to that I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to tell me about? Who is available to join me in both fellowship and mentorship? Who in my church is spiritually mature that I can go to and rely on and ask questions and be taught from? Who is the master underneath the great master that I can learn things from, that can join alongside me, that can journey with me? Who is able to maintain a confidence with the things that I'm struggling with, but who will pray for me and dedicate themselves to help nurturing me along the way? Who is knowledgeable in the faith? That's accountability. So we've covered prayer, we've covered giving, we've covered fasting, we've covered uh, accountability. The last discipline I want to talk to you about is study. Paul writes to his son in the faith, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The word of God is precious. And yet so often it is that it becomes the thing that gathers dust on the coffee table to look good. But Christ also tells us, the word of God tells us about itself, that it is nourishment for the soul. So when you don't use it, when you don't read it, when you don't apply it, you grow weak. Spiritual anemia is not a good thing. But we need not starve ourselves spiritually. What time can I offer? Ask yourself these questions. What time can I offer to hear from God through His Word? God hears through us. God hears from us through prayer. We hear from God through the pages of His Word. So it's vital that we set this time aside to experience God's Word. What does my church offer that integrates the Word with fellowship? Do we host studies? Do we have a worship hour? Do we have small group fellowships? What do we have that we can make ourselves a part of so that we are fed from Scripture? Lastly, ask ourselves, what do I not understand that I need to understand? What do I have a curiosity about? What do I hear during a sermon? What do I hear during my devotional studies? What do I hear during Sunday school class? What do I hear during one of our small groups? that makes me curious. If you are curious about something, or you have something that, that, that strikes your ear as odd, rejoice, because if you do your homework, and part of that homework involves asking people, then I promise you, you will be blessed by it. So during the next few days, I encourage you, I encourage you, think about ways that we can become more Christ-like together in giving to the needy and to the ministry in devoting ourselves to prayer, to finding time with God, in studying His Word, and in separating ourselves from that which will lead us into temptation. Basic pillars of Bible study. Number one, what is our place in God's story? Where are we in the pages of Holy Scripture? Now, if you've been sitting through a Revelation study with me, you know that the churches in the, first, in, the, in the second chapter and third chapter, all seven of those churches 
Christ tells them about problems that we still have to this day. Where am I in Scripture? Where is my church in Scripture? What is my place in God's story? What is our place in God's story? What is God teaching us about our relationship with Him? What are God's expectations for us as individual believers and at His church? And those questions are answered in three different ways. The first way is with regular Bible study. The second way is by understanding what makes our church different. Theology, doctrine. And the last example is what we call Christian living studies. In the one case we do on Wednesday night, and the other ones we do on Sunday night, and the last one we have through Sunday school. How do I integrate the Word of God into my mind, into my heart, so that I actually do it? I become a reflection of it. Where God talks about sacrificial love, sacrificial giving, uh, when God talks about being a living representative of righteousness, loving justice, being merciful, how do I not only hear that and understand it, but how do I live it out? So all through these disciplines that we've talked about, all through these different ways that we can grow in the faith, there are certain common themes. First, they all involve denying the self. But they also involve filling us with the things of God, focusing on the things of God. They involve restricting pride, but strengthening obedience. They offer growing in Christ-likeness. If I pray, I will develop a closer relationship with God because I know He's listening. If I give, I will be a better reflection of Christ to others because Christ did that. If I sacrifice part of myself, they will see Him in me because that's the person He was. If I open the pages of God's Word to learn about something, chances are I'm going to hear from God in that exchange and be able to help somebody else along the journey. What can I do in these 40 days in examining my habits, in examining the things that I can do to enrich my own spiritual life? What can I do to be a better reflection of Christ? To increase being open to hearing His Word. To increase participating in doing His Word. Missions, evangelism, fellowship, teaching. What can I do to increase my participation in that same sacrificial type of love that he offered to me? What can I do to be a bigger participant in Christ-centered worship? In this time, as we come together, 40 days before Christ rises from an empty tomb. We're called to lay down, to set aside, to be willing to put away the childish things once and for all, to steer clear of what would tempt us, and to be more active in being a representative of His love and His faithfulness. So that when the day comes, when we have that resurrection morning service here, and we receive the risen Christ, may we do so 
having trained ourselves in such a way that those who see us outside of these walls will see Christ at work within us. And all God's people said. So Heavenly Father, as we conclude this teaching of your word, open our hearts better to being more the people that you've called us to be. Help us to see the things in our lives that separate us, not only from a a closer-knit relationship with you, but separate us from being the reflection of your love that you've called us to be. And again, we thank you, the heroes of the faith that are no longer with us, that have been called to be part of your, your kingdom. We also thank you for the diligent workers that are here to this day, that do what was preached, that, Lord, that take care of this house of worship, that take care of her people, that take care of her members, that don't ask for things, that don't ask for fanfare, but that just love being part of the ministry, that love your people, that love you. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet and to truly reflect your love in all that we are. In the most holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.